Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And if you're not sure where that is, that's okay. It's page 1473, 1473 in your pew Bibles. So go ahead and grab one. I want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. And if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been studying what's commonly referred to in uh, Scripture as the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And this really is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and these characteristics that are laid out in an orderly fashion, very similar, that start the same way. Blessed is the... Or, blessed are the, so on and so forth. And we started this series several weeks back, recognizing, asking the question, how does an ordinary person like me share with people outside of this place, outside of here, about the one who saved me. How do I, how do I reveal Jesus in my life? How do I show this? And we recognize that it's done when all of me glorifies God. When all of me glorifies Him. And so each one of these beatitudes, if you will, is really a development in us, in who we are, so that all of us can glorify Him. And so, well, I want to continue to challenge you, being that these are characteristic, character traits that should be a part of who we are. If we're a follower of Jesus, if we're claiming the name of Christ and saying, I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, if these are to be developed in us, they should really be something that we're committing to memory. We're committing to going over and meditating on that we're not just reading this here, But we're taking this with us and challenging ourselves in this. So if you haven't already started, make sure you seek to memorize this. That's really my challenge for you as we continue this the next several weeks, is to have this memorized and go bit by bit, piece by piece. We're taking a verse each week and we're just stacking that. So if you've fallen behind on that, that's okay. You only have five verses to memorize. Okay? But I want to challenge you in this because when we commit God's word to our heart, it's what will co- go with us when we step out of here into battle. And this is really, Sunday morning is to be really the, the motivator that we go from here and we do according to what God says we're to do. Right? So, commit this to memory. Let's, let's challenge each other, each other with this. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read this. And we're going to ask our question for today and pray that God would... Uh, speak clearly through his word about something we often don't speak about. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he'd sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Heavenly Fathers, we come to this text today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Pray that you would clarify for us what this looks like. 
how we develop this in our own lives, and how we live this out in a way that glorifies your name above all else. We commit this to you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we come to a passage like Matthew 5, 5, where it says blessed, or as we talked about previously, deeply joyful, a joy that cannot be taken away by changing circumstances around us, is the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The first question that should really enter our mind is, what does meekness look like? And then right after that, how do I become meek? Because realistically, if we look at this as Jesus' own words, which it is, we should step back and say, I, I should desire this. If the person who is meek can rest in deep joy, knowing that this is what Christ has called me to, along with being poor in spirit and mourning my sin, as we talked about last week, then how do I become meek? What does this look like? And there's two things this morning I really want to emphasize to you, two things that I really want to hone in on. So if you walk away today and only remember these two things That's okay. But I want you to grasp these. Right? The first one being, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Now, I want us all to repeat that because when you repeat something after and you say it verbally, it tends to stick a little better. Alright? So I'm going to say it again and then I want you to repeat it after me. Meekness is not weakness. Now, you might question, well, why do I bring that up? The reality is, and I actually tested this this week with a handful of people and asked them, when you think of meekness, what comes to mind? And terms that consistently cropped up every time I'd ask someone this question were timid, soft-spoken, wimpy, weak, or shy. And there were actually multiple people who actually referenced, uh, you might think of something like a mouse. And so if that's our idea of meekness, but it falls short of what the Bible speaks of, which we're going to step into, then we have to challenge ourselves and say, okay, there is not this correlation between being meek and being weak. So meekness is not weakness. And we're going to unpack that a little more here from the text. The second thing that I want to challenge you with, is that meekness starts and stops with God. Meekness starts and stops with God. And that's where these, these props come into play, okay? Now, this is, this is meant to resemble a start line, okay? And obviously the finish line. Now, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you are runners or have run in races before, okay? All right, a good majority of you. Now, if you ever watch, if you ever watch uh, the Olympic sprints or even long races, there's varying degrees of strategy in how you run a race. But generally, you want to set a fairly decent pace right from the beginning. Now, in the Christian life, where is our starting point? Our starting point really comes when we recognize this first beatitude, I am poor in spirit which came back to this reality of recognizing that I am spiritually bankrupt. I am not righteous. I cannot achieve eternity of my own accord. 
And that's the starting point because when I realize that I am spiritually bankrupt, it develops in me a need for something more, something else. And here at E-Free, that something else that we teach is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's Jesus' words. So our starting point, the beginning of the race, the takeoff, is that we recognize I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And then we have this space in between where we're called to run with endurance. Endure these things. And this is where it gets kind of challenging. And some of us get kind of tired. We get kind of weary of running the race, and so we might sit down. You know, God, I'm going to let you do this. I know the finish line is heaven, but I'm tired. I'm done. And others of us might simply say, you know what, I'm a sprinter. I'm going to take off really fast, but now I'm, I'm exhausted. So I'm going to walk, and I might rest a while. I'll get, I'll get to it, God. I'll get there eventually, but, you know, I'm not going to give 100%. And yet, when we think about the Christian life, it's we're called to run with endurance, to continue striving forward, persevering, pushing through, even when there's pain, even when there's trial, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And now some of you might... Okay, it starts with God, I get that, but what do you mean it ends with God? Well, the Christian life, the development of me as a follower of Jesus, continues day after day, time after time, until I stand before God face to face. This isn't something where I can take off well and kind of meander on until I die, but is supposed to be developed in us consistently, day after day, week after week, time after time that we would become more like Jesus from the first day we recognize we need him until eternity. And so I say that on the beginning as the intro to this, because as we develop kind of what it looks like biblically to be someone who's meek in character, as opposed to someone who is not meek, I want you to understand this is not something that transforms in us overnight. But it's also not something that we can expect to do nothing moving towards that goal and see it happen. We can't expect to sit here in the middle of the race and hope that somehow we become what Jesus has called us to become. We have to actually work at it. That work has nothing to do with you being saved. That starts here. But is Every bit about you becoming more like Jesus. And that's what we should be committed to. That's what we should be committed to. And so meekness is not weakness. Meekness starts and stops with God. And so this morning, I want to give us an image of the meek versus the not so meek. Right? And to do that, we're actually going to go back to Psalm 37 in your Bibles. Psalm chapter 37. And Jesus actually quotes almost word for word what's stated in this Psalm of David in Psalm 37. If you're using your pew Bible, it's page 807. You can turn there in that as well. Psalm 37. 
And this whole psalm is really an encouragement, a reminder that God is not going to forsake his saints. He's not going to forsake the people who've said, I'm, I'm following after you, God. I'm committed to your ways and your purposes. And if you glance briefly here at verse 11 in Psalm 37, it says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So if you're questioning why this this section of scripture, why we're referring back to Psalm 37, it's because we come to this contrast in Psalm 37, really between the wicked and those who are committed to following God's purposes. Now, some of you might sit here today and go, well, okay, if we're talking about the wicked, well, surely there's no one in here who could pass for being wicked. What does that really mean? And if we think about anything that is righteous is the opposite of that which is wicked, and if that which is righteous is that which is godly, which follows after what God desires, that would mean that that which is evil or wicked is that which is the opposite of what is godly. And I hate to say it, but church, oftentimes we dumb down what it really means to live in wickedness and we justify something we're doing because it's not as wicked as something else someone else is doing. And so I'm not going to mince words when I say if we are living in any way contrary to what God desires, we are living in wickedness. It is no in-between here. There's no I'm somewhat evil but mostly good. There's no I'm pretty good but I have a little bit of wickedness here. If I am living in any way contrary to what God has established as the purpose for a follower of Jesus, I'm living in wickedness. And so when we think about this, I want you to think about that which God has called us to as opposed to that which maybe the world would be patterned after. Or even simply that which is opposed to what God has called us to. And so the first thing when we think about the meek, I want us to pull from this, is that the meek does not fret over evildoers. The meek does not fret over evildoers. In verse 1 of Psalm 37, it says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Though faced with trial and persecution, we may do really well in recognizing where we need to start. The meek do not fret or worry about the perceived success of those living outside of God's will. They don't look at the person who's living a life contrary to God and somehow all these, has all these worldly possessions and seeming worldly success and they go, oh man, I wish I was like them. They don't fret over the fact that, God, why haven't you just taken them out yet? Because God is God and I am not. And somehow in the midst of this, he's working all of this for his glory, for his honor, for his praise. And if we can't see that, that's okay. In fact, I don't know about you, but I don't want that kind of responsibility. I don't want to look out and see this is how everything's going to unfold because I can't stand the thought of even beginning to comprehend that because I'm not God. Praise Jesus that he hasn't expected that of us. But we still have a tendency to become 
in agony over how the wicked prosper. And it sometimes causes us to step back and doubt our own faith, doubt our own commitment to Christ, because, well, surely, if I'm fully devoted to God, then He should be giving me more than He's giving the wicked. But the meek do not fret over evildoers. They know where the true finish line is. Nothing the wicked do can prevent them from achieving that goal. Let me say that again. Nothing the wicked do can prevent you as a follower of Jesus from becoming more like Christ. There is no amount of wickedness that can overcome the light of Christ. And so any limitations we set upon ourselves to say, ah, oh, if I didn't, wasn't dealing with these people or this circumstance, then I could become more like Jesus, is just as an excuse for us to say, ah, oh, I just don't know what to do. And so what does the person who's not meek do? Well, the simple reality is they fret over getting even. Or they fret over how well this person who's living in wickedness is doing. I'm just stewing about this. I'm just... I can't stop thinking about it. It doesn't make sense. Rather than fixing their eyes on Jesus. And yet, the commands of Christ bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's countercultural, isn't it? And love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Now, I don't know about you, but the ability to love your enemies, to love those who are persecuting you, that is not weakness. It takes a lot of strength to pray for your enemies rather than curse them or condemn them. Meekness is not weakness. There's a lot of strength that goes into being able to live in accordance with what Jesus has called the church to, which is completely countercultural to what every other message is telling us. The meek do not fret over evildoers. They're committed. This is so important. Listen to this. They're committed to God's way. They're committed to God's way. Look at verses 3 through 6 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Agenda after agenda comes towards the person who's seeking to be meek. Distractions at every corner. Temptation comes and threatens to dissuade those who are seeking to be meek. Yet, their eyes remain fixed on Jesus. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will act. So the person who's not meek, the person who's not committed to this, what does that look like? Well, rather than being committed to God's way, they're really committed to their own way. They're filled with a sense of pride. 
and self-worth. I am okay. And really, if you were to identify that, you could come back to the starting line and say, have you really recognized that you're spiritually bankrupt? You recognize that there's nothing I can do that can achieve for me the finish line of eternity. That that's all God and I need Him. I need the sacrifice of Christ to get there. But the person who struggles in meekness is really committed to their own way. And this can go the opposite direction. Not just that they're overpowering and demanding of this is my way or the highway. This is my plan or no plan at all. But really the coin can be flipped and you can become a people pleaser. I'm so worried. I'm so anxious about this. That I might, I might do something that may not line up with what God desires me to do because I'm worried about what other people are going to think of this. Or how that might come across wrong. Or whatever it may be. And the type of meekness, biblical meekness, is a strength to be able to say, no, I'm going to do whatever God's called me to do. And nothing's going to dissuade me from that. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Him. I'm going to keep pressing forward towards the goal, towards the end, because I know that's where my true reward is. And just like Jesus challenged the people not to be like the Pharisees who did everything they did to be seen by men, He said that's where their reward stops. Instead, you fix your eyes on God and you run with endurance. No matter what happens. The meek waits patiently for God. Now, I don't know about you. This one is challenging for me. And I've mentioned this before. One of my biggest struggles as a follower of Jesus is patience. I know, I know this is what you want to do in me, God. But can you do it a little faster? I want to go forward. It's kind of like I want there to be some sort of spiritual golf cart I can get in and ride a little bit of the journey. And yet, James tells us to count it all joy when we face trials, right? Because he's developing in us a perseverance. He's training us. He's equipping us because there's stuff coming that we can't see. And so the meek waits patiently for God, is self-controlled, exercises humility, is able to step back and be still because they know who's in control. Psalm 37.7 says, Be still, before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about everything else. Trust that God's got this. He's got this under control. And then press on, press forward towards what God has called us to in Christ. Proverbs 25:28 says a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. We can try to run this of our own accord. We can try to do it in our own timeline and push things forward against what God's desire is. But so often when we do that, it leaves us exposed and vulnerable, and then we find ourselves sitting down going, "God, what what happened?" What happened? And he's saying, you've got to fix your eyes back on me. 
Look at me. Look at me. The person who's not meek is quick to, quick to act of their own will or volition. There's no self-control. There's no self-control. And so there might be a tension in us. I'm going to seek to do my own thing, but I'm going to make it spiritual. I'm going to try to make it what God desires. And yet in that moment, we're more concerned about what I want than I am about what God desires. And the last thing, when we think about what it looks like to be meek versus not meek, is really this promise in here. The person who is not meek or those who live in wickedness, those who are are wicked or evil, are snuffed out quickly. And this is mentioned multiple times in Psalm 37. Verse 2, it says, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Verse 9 says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And verse 10, In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And yet verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the land. Now, that's the promise for the meek, the same as in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed, deeply joyful for the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want you to think for a minute. It might be confusing. Well, what does he mean by that? I want you to think about how countercultural that concept would be, not only to the people in Jesus' day and age, but in our very culture today. How often do we think of it that it's the meek, it's the gentle, It's the ones who love their enemies. How often do we recognize and say, it's them who will inherit the earth? Oh no. We would would say, oh, it's the powerful. It's the greedy. It's the selfish. It's the people who don't care who's in their way. They just keep going. Those are the people who inherit the land. And yet, Jesus has called us to something that's completely different. And it's completely God. You see, you might look around and you see powerful people, people who further their own agendas and they get, they're doing great from a worldly perspective. And yet they still have not started the race. And there's those of you here today who maybe you're struggling. This is hard. You're in the middle of this race and you are tired. And yet the promise here for those who are committed to Christ, for those who fix their eyes on Jesus, is that there's an eternity that far outweighs any expectations or any riches you could accumulate here on earth. Something far better at the finish line of this race to keep your eyes fixed on. The deeply joyful are those who are spiritually bankrupt in need of a Savior The deeply joyful are those who mourn their sin and are in need of grace. The deeply joyful are those who can stand in the face of adversity and love their adversary. And really, to be meek is to exercise strength under control. Keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. Now to sum sum this up at the end, I want to read this quote that A.W. Tozer once wrote. 
that summarizes all of this really well in a compact form. He said, the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. Now, when we think about this in a practical sense, you might ask, okay, well, how is this to be embodied? Do we have any example of this? Guess what we do? The person of Jesus. Jesus embodied what it looked like to be strong and yet gentle. To exercise power under control. So I'm going to, we're going to take communion today. I'm going to ask the men to come forward. And as they do that, I want to read this section in Philippians chapter 2. It may be familiar to some of you, but it really embodies... Who is Jesus? How did he model this kind of meekness, this kind of humility, this kind of gentleness, this kind of obedience? Philippians 2 verse 4, it says, Let let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, talk about power, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus modeled this for each one of us. And that's when we come to communion, it's to remember that He did this. He lived this. And He sacrificed Himself that we could have life. A servant willing to step outside of cultural norms and to love his enemies enough to die for them. A servant willing to set the example by washing his disciples' feet. Not coming to be served, but to serve in the form of God and yet a servant fully committed to what God's plan was. Not just giving you life through His sacrifice, but also modeling for you what it looks like to run this race completely with endurance and your eyes fixed on God's purposes and plan. And so as we take communion today, as we think about the sacrifice of Christ and remember what He did, 
on our behalf. I want you to think about how that shifts my view of who I am. How it shifts your view of who you are in light of who God is and Christ is. And are you living that out? Are you living as one who's meek? Who's strong because you know what God's called you to? And yet gentle, just as Jesus is. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today and we take communion together, may we be reminded of your sacrifice and motivated to live in light of who you are. That you would be glorified in all of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.